0: the yield curve in Canada in particular, when you look at the difference between the 10s and the 2s right now, it's the largest inversion we've seen since the 1990s. Welcome to ETF Market Insights, a podcast where some of Canada's leading investment experts guide you through the world of exchange-traded funds. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.
1: Welcome to the BMO ETFs podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening in. I'm your host today, Mackenzie Box, Vice President with BMO ETFs Product. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Alfred Lee, Director, Portfolio Manager, and Investment Strategist with BMO ETFs. Thanks, Alfred, for coming back once again to give us an update on central banks. Thanks for having me. So today we'll cover the latest move by the Fed and the Bank of Canada, what 2023 outlook is shaping out to be, and what the impact all of this has on your portfolio. So let's dive in. Last week, the Bank of Canada raised rates again by 50 basis points, finishing the year on a high and the fastest pace on record to help stabilize inflation. Rates have been raised to 4.25% this year, with seven hikes in total. We saw the Feds respond similarly with another 50 basis point hike. Was this in line with market expectations, and what has been the impact on the markets
0: so far this year? You know, to your point, we've seen a lot of action with central banks, both with the Bank of Canada and the Fed as well. This week has been no exception. So we both got um, the recent meetings from both the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve as well. So in terms of rate hikes, um, both of them were largely in line with expectations. So why don't we start with the Bank of Canada first? Uh, When we're looking at the Bank of Canada. We got that 50 basis point rate hike. The futures market was actually pricing in a higher probability of a 25 basis point rate hike, and we were talking about this on the desk a couple of weeks ago prior to the meeting. And we thought you know 50 basis point would be the most appropriate or the more appropriate response, given that you know when you look at the economic data that's come out of Canada recently, especially with uh, with the inflation data, it's been rather mixed, right? So September and October, the CPI numbers were you know both 6.8 percent. Um, So there was really no improvement or no trend down in inflation. The employment data was still very strong as well. So I think, you know, 50 basis point was probably the more appropriate move. Uh, Moving on to the U.S., the 50 basis point was largely expected as well. So some of the people in the market were calling for a 25 basis point rate hike. But, you know, given that inflation still not under control, I know a lot of people were focused around that. CPI print that came out earlier in the week, which came in better than expectations, but I think you know fifty basis points, as I mentioned before, it's it sends more of a message than twenty five, especially if you know the expectation is now that you know the central banks potentially will take a pause here. Um, I think you know going out with a fifty basis point um, is probably a stronger message to send. Uh, But in terms of market reactions, it's it's been pretty mixed. Initially, after the FOMC meeting. It was bullish at first. I think a lot of people were reacting off of that, you know, possibility of a of a pause in in hiking rates. But you know, after more of the commentary came out, I think it was a little bit more mixed because we got the raising of the dot plots, which was more hawkish, in my opinion. Um, but also, when you look at uh, some of the comments that came out, and Powell said that you know rates were going to remain restrictively high for a while. That basically took out the possibility of a rate cut in 2023, which the futures market was pricing in. So, overall, I think I spent a little time on the road over the last couple of weeks, and a lot of investors were saying, you know, we got to prepare for the new normal. I think we actually have to prepare more for the old normal because I think the last 10 years has been more abnormal, where a lot of investors were getting used to zero interest rates. So, um, I think over the next couple of months and over the next year, uh, we're going to continue to see interest rates normalize, which Um, I think from a functionality standpoint for the markets will be a good thing.
1: Thanks, Alfred. I think a lot of investors are hoping that rates start to stabilize soon. Moving to the next question, uh, you just mentioned it briefly, that the Fed raising its dot plots at the recent meeting, which are the Federal Open Market Committee FOMC members anticipate rates to be in the upcoming years. So the 2023 terminal values are what the market seems to be focused on. Which moved higher from four point six percent to five point one percent. What's the reasoning behind this?
0: Yeah, so you know, um, you know, when you look at the dot plots, um, certainly one of the focuses of the meeting, um, you know, the FOMC meeting. But I think, you know, how the Fed has responded in this last meeting, I actually think is the um, appropriate response, believe it or not. So, you know, when you look at interest rates and you take a look at how long it takes for the impact. Um, and you know how how long it takes for it to be felt in the economy. Generally, it takes 18 to 24 months for interest rates to take an impact. So, even with the first rate hikes that we got from the Bank of Canada and the Fed earlier this year, we don't really know the full effects of those um, of those interest rate hikes. So, I think from a central bank standpoint at um, at this point, I think you know it's very prudent to take a pause here and and kind of let the market digest and have you know the market fully react to um some of the more tighter monetary policies at this point. But, you know, anecdotally, when I look around, it does look like that inflation is starting to dissipate, especially on the good side. On the services side, you know, obviously it's been a little bit more resilient, but, you know, with a lot of people being locked down over the last two to three years, I think people just want to get, you know, traveling and going out uh, to the favorite restaurants out of their system. Um, so it's a little bit more resilient on the service side. Um, But by raising the dot plots, what the Fed allows them to do is that, you know, by moving the terminal value in 2023 higher, um, it essentially allows them to take a pause here if needed. And then if inflation starts to pick up again, or if it shows to be a little bit more resilient, it does give them a higher ceiling in order to bring back those jumbo rate heights if needed. So, um, you know, overall, when you look at the tools that the Fed has at their disposal, uh, in addition to just raising interest rates, they could also guide forward expectations through the dot plots, and they also have quantitative tightening going going on in the background, which they could dial up and dial down if needed. So the Fed does have, you know, several tools to work on, even if they do pause in interest rates.
1: Great. Thanks, Alfred. And we spoke in some of the recent podcasts that the Bank of Canada and the Fed will likely pause interest rate hikes in early 2023. And we also see that in some of the headlines. So is this still likely? And what are the risks of doing so? And what are some of the indicators showing for the outlook for 2023?
0: Yeah, you know, I think this is a very good possibility. I mean, this is something that we've been expecting over the last couple of months, we think, you know, the Fed and the Bank of Canada will likely take a pause um, in early 2023. And, you know, as I mentioned, you know, when you look around anecdotally, there are a lot of disinflationary forces right now, right? So I know the CPI has been a little bit um, sticky, but, you know, when you look at um, supply chains, supply chains are starting to heal at this point. So the cost of shipping a cargo container has gone down to pre-COVID levels. Um, Also, when you look at, you know, company uh, earnings and, you know, what they've been reporting, a lot of companies are reporting a buildup in inventory as well, which means that eventually these companies probably have to slash prices in order to get rid of some of their supply. Um, So that's going to be disinflationary as well. But, you know, when you look at CPI, there's a lot of stickiness to it, right? So if let's say, for example, if you bought a $1 million house at a 2% mortgage rate, and now you have to refinance at a higher rate, that payment is actually going to go up. So that's going to be, you know, reflect as inflationary. But, you know, in in reality, when you look at a lot of the mortgage demand in, in the US, for example, it's 22 year lows right now, right? So I think there is some stickiness to the CPI number, which may not be accurate. But I think there are a number of risks um, going on right now, right? That the central banks do have to consider. So the one risk being the yield curve inversion. The yield curve in Canada, in particular, when you look at the difference between the tens and the twos right now, it's the largest inversion we've seen since, since the 1990s. So if the Bank of Canada continues to hike aggressively into this, you could create some damage to the economy. So you know, when you look at household debt in Canada, still at record levels. So um, the Bank of Canada and the Fed have a have a balance to play with right now. Uh, the other concern I have, and I think that this is, you know, the big elephant in the room is basically China. So China's moving away from its zero COVID policies. Um, and, you know, one thing we we're talking about last year was when Canada and the US were opening up, demand comes back faster than supply. So initially off the jump, You typically have inflation and increase before it starts to dissipate. And when supply eventually catches up, inflation starts to go down. So, you know, China, uh, when they open up, um, it potentially will have an inflationary impact. Um, Even though a lot of people think of China as, you know, a supplier to the world, they are a pretty large consumer of goods and services as well. So, uh, if it does open up quickly, I, I do think, you know, it will create this temporary blip in in inflation where inflation goes up. So it's it's going to be very critical in terms of, you know, how central banks uh, react to that.
1: Great. Thanks, Alfred. Now we're kind of going to shift gears um, and focus more on how this, all this update relates back to your investment portfolio. So based on all this, what are the impacts to fixed income and equities? And maybe you can touch on the 60-40 portfolio uh, in the last little bit, we've kind of seen that it's been broken, especially this year. So what are the implications on the 60-40 portfolio now that rates are back to a more normalized level?
0: Yeah. So, you know, when you look at the 60-40 portfolio is definitely running on fumes over the last decade. Um, 2022 could have been, you know, the nail in the coffin. But, you know, when you look at a 60-40 portfolio, equities and bonds serve a very you know unique uh, purpose, right? Equities serve. The purpose of getting capital gains and growth, Uh, fixed income essentially is there for providing stability and also providing income as well. In the last decade where interest rates continue to grind lower, uh, fixed income really didn't provide a yield, but it did provide stability. In 2022, when the equity market sold off, fixed income didn't provide a lot of stability at all. So that's why the 60-40 portfolio has really been questioned in 2022. But, you know, one thing is that as interest rates continue to normalize here, um, the cost of funding is going to go higher. So a lot of people in terms of if you have higher interest rates, you you can have less leverage in the market. So when markets sell off, there's going to be less margin calls. People are not going to be forced to cover those margin calls. Correlations aren't going to go to one again. So that effectiveness and that correlations between equities and bonds should improve but overall, I think you know this should provide a rebirth to the sixty forty portfolio. Also, I think is going to be a great market for you know bonds, for example, um, because if you're getting you know let's say a six percent, six and a half percent coupon or yield to maturity from fixed income, it makes a lot of sense to dial down risk in your portfolio and take some of that equity and move it into fixed income. Um, so I, I do believe that. You know, things like um, ZMU, which is our midterm US investment grade ETF, you know, it's yielding probably in the neighborhood of five and a half percent, six percent. At some point, you know, that's going to be a good alternative, not necessarily an alternative, but investors may want to take some table or take some weight off of equities and move into an ETF like that.
1: Great. Thanks, Alfred. Now, how should investors position their portfolios given the current environment and the expectations moving forward for 23?
0: So we've been big on barbells, both on the equity side and the fixed income side. So equities, for example, I think a good way to play this is, you know, you take part of your allocation and allocate to low volatility ETFs. So low volatility has performed very well in this market of environment. So if inflation continues, things like ZLB, which is our low vol Canadian equity ETF that's going to perform well. So will ZLU, which is the uh, low vol US equity ETF. And then if you combine that with something like a quality factor, um, something like our US quality ETF, ZUQ, um, that should perform very well, right? If we get um, interest rates stabilized. So quality factor, you know, we're looking for companies that have low financial leverage, high return on equity, and low earnings variability as well. So you know by screening those metrics, you essentially have companies that have very strong balance sheets. Unfortunately, this year, quality has not performed just because of its tech weighting. But if interest rates stabilize here, um tech should perform well or it should perform a lot better than it did in two thousand and twenty two. So combining low volume quality should be um, a pretty good way to approach you know the equity side of the portfolio. On the fixed income side, we also like barbells as well. So combining, you know a short-term ETF with a long-term ETF, um, so overweighting you know credit on the short end of the curve essentially allows investors to get more yield um, by you know hugging the short end of the curve. Uh, but at the same time, as the yield curve continues to invert, having exposure to um, you know long federal bonds, something like our um, ZFL, which is our BMO long federal bond ETF. Or better yet, combining that with ZTL, uh, which is our long-term U.S. Treasury ETF, you know that's a good way to approach fixed income. So essentially, overweighting credit on the short term, so combining ZCS, uh, our short corporate bond ETF, with something like ZTL, which again is our uh, long-term U.S. Treasury ETF. That's a good way to approach the fixed income side, I believe.
1: Thanks, Alfred. So that's it for today. So uh, thanks again, Alfred, for walking us through some of these key updates around the central banks policy, current markets, what the expectations are for 2023, and some ideas around positioning your portfolios given the current environment. This has been a BMO ETF podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, BMOETFs.ca, the BMO Canadian ETF dashboard. So thanks again, Alfred, and thank you to everyone for tuning in.
0: The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. ETF Market Insights has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.